listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, New Chapel. Good to see everybody today. It's so good to be back. I was, uh, I was, yeah, thank you. Why not? All eight of you, so glad to see you too. Um, it is so good to be back in town. Uh, thank you for allowing me to go down to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was with other pastors, and, and who I would say is my senior pastor, who is Pastor Willie George. I, I sit around that table with him and hear the word of God. Uh, I have a personal plan for spiritual growth and Aren't y'all just glad I'm eating what I'm cooking? I'm telling y'all, you need to grow, and I'm doing that myself. And, and, and so we go down there, and, and it's under the auspice of a hunt, but it's, it's really to get around a table with other guys. But that's not going to hold me back from bragging about your pastoral staff. Go ahead and throw that slide up there, guys. Your pastor on the left with a massive uh, in the 150s, and then on the right. Now, that is Pastor Brian's first buck. He never shot big game in his entire life. Look at that guy, stud. And then in the middle there, you can see my pastor, Willie George, there. We're posing with that buck. And uh, you're like, what'd you do with the meat? We actually donated it to single moms. And so that's pretty cool. And anyway, it was a great time. Yeah, learned, learned a ton. And uh, I never hunted until I was 30 years old. So guys, I got some ground to make up in Jesus' name. And so... Uh, uh, anyway, hey, we're in this spiritual growth campaign called Made for More. Hey, by the way, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I'm Joe Bevilacqua. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new, I want to meet you after service today. Out these doors, you'll hook around. We're having a newcomer's reception. I'll talk more about it, remind you at the end, but I'd love just to meet you, shake your hand, hear a little bit of your story. I've got no agenda like back there besides like meatballs and, and uh, having a good time eating and, and talking. And so uh, I do want to meet every single person, but, but my name is Joe. I'm the lead pastor here. And this, this whole idea with Made for More is that it's a spiritual growth campaign. It's more than a series. And, and we're diving deep into a book that if you'd like one, maybe they have one at guest services, but our groups are centered around purpose. We're talking about God's plan for our life. And it's not a perfect book, but man, take in the haste, take, spit out the stubble. It's incredible content about God's purpose for our lives. And, and the fact of the matter is you are made for more. And in the first week of this series, we just brought that out to you, that you are made for more, that God does have a plan for your life, that he wants to see you through. And we introduced this idea that there are five purposes for your life. The second week of the series, we told you the first purpose, which was the fact that you are planned for God's pleasure, that you are called to be in relationship with him and, and to be able to worship your God, everybody. The second purpose we talked about was the fact that you are formed for God's family, that Jesus died to build something, and it is his church, that the free agent Christian that goes out there, you might share heaven with us, that's, that's true, but you're never going to live any of that paradise on earth. It's no good in doing it alone. You need church, community, real, vibrant, grassroots, not planned, organized so much that it's sterile. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? We need people in our lives. And then we talked about the third purpose last week. I heard Pastor Brian killed it. And uh, it's just, you know, I, I think he's a good preacher. He's just so intimidating because he looks so tough. And, uh, and so if, you, if you're intimidated, maybe, maybe you're not today. But um, he talked about how you're created to become like Christ and, and that God has a plan to grow us, to take next steps, to grow in Christian character to become more like him. And today, here we go. You have five purposes for your life. The fourth purpose, write it down. 
It is to serve God by serving others. Write that down. Grab out that little weekly. Take notes. You serve God by serving other people. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 13. I want to show you this, and it's maybe a little bit of an abstract story, but it'll get us where we need to go. Uh, Jesus is facing the cross. It's happening. It's happening this weekend. This is the Friday night. It's actually during their Passover feast. And the things that he shares with the disciples, I think that it's very telling. It's very pace-setting for our Christian walk today. Let me read it for you out of John's Gospel, chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So imagine, he knows, i got to go to the cross. I've got business to do, my great redemptive work. And yet what you're going to read him talk about here in a second, you'd think like, how do you have your head on that when, when the cross is, is right in front of you? It's because it's so important. It's so massive to your purpose. It's so, it's so central to the Christian walk. This is what it says. Jesus says, having loved his own who were in the world, he now, here it is, he showed them the full extent of his love. Here's what this is talking about. You can have all the feels in your heart. Oh, I really love that. This time of year especially, you're going to start seeing those feed the children commercials, you know what I'm talking about? Or those dogs. Why do they find the saddest dogs in the world? <laughs> you know, and, and they want you to send money because they're trying to solicit you from, from looking at sad things. And, and I've talked to people that are like, oh, I always cry when I see those things. Well, have you ever gave to feed the children? They're like, well, no. Well, then you're just emotional. You're not really compassionate. If you had compassion, you would have sent them a buck, but you're all about feed the children, your own. And so, uh, you know, I get it, but, 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 but Jesus is saying, hey, you can have all the feels, but you better do something about it. You better show it some way. Now, this Passover meal that they're getting ready to celebrate was, was significant. To this day and in Jesus' time, it has not changed one bit since the book of Exodus. There are 11 different events in the sequences that it goes through. It's all pointing towards Jesus. They didn't see it. Jesus saw it all. And as he's getting ready to give them this meal, uh, they're they're setting the table. Imagine uh, Thanksgiving. I've been on keto for a year and a half. I just want to publicly say I have huge plans for Thanksgiving. And and so they're, they're planning this Passover. And, and they're getting everything together. And just like you'd be like, okay, now, now son, I want you to go get the, the plates, and sweetheart, I want you to go get the silverware. We're getting everything all set up. They were doing the same thing. Now, there is one massive difference. In the Middle East, in Israel, in Jerusalem at this time, their dining room table would have only been a couple of inches, maybe a foot off from the ground. And so as they were sitting there, they actually, and you'll read sometimes it'd be like, and the disciples were reclining around the table. They, they were all kind of laying down. Now, I'm Italian, and I'm just, in my holy imagination, I'm just thinking, it's because you're going to eat so much pasta, you just need a little nap right there. Just keep the motion going, just eating and sleeping, you know. And, uh, and, and that's, that's what I imagine. But either way, everybody's nasty old feet are going to be in your face, and they wore sandals. I'm going to just tell you something. Your feet, yours, gross me out. <laughs> when you wear sandals, I've even seen people come up on stage preaching in socks, and I, I gag a little bit in my mouth. Like, it's just, oh, my gosh. And so it's a lot to deal with. Feet are gross, and feet were gross back then as well. And so it would have been standard in the Middle East. They take off these old little Bible sandals, right? And they would have had, just like you'd set the table, just like you'd have the napkins, they would have had somebody have the job, you got to wash the feet. 
and this was typically the job they gave to the dunce of the family, the, the lowest servant, the, the lowest guy. Now, they're noticing at this Passover meal, there's nobody washing the feet, and there must have been a tension in the room. But at the same time that there's this tension, they're having this meal with Jesus. And so they're starstruck and they don't want to break up everything. And they also don't want to admit that they're the low guy in the totem pole. And so everybody is straight facing it through this meal. And, and nobody wants to get down and clean the cheese out of everybody's gross feet. And, and so this is a rough crowd. We think of the, the 12 apostles of the lamb and they were incredible. But before the cross, they were pretty carnal guys. Peter is denying Jesus this night. Judas is trying to sell him. It's, it's a pretty rough crowd altogether. And, and so Jesus does the unthinkable. A man of his stature, he's a rabbi. He gets up. He takes his overcoat off. He puts on a servant's towel because God is into towels, not into titles. He gets down and he takes those nasty old feet, and he starts to wash them, and everybody goes, oh, a gasp in the room, like this should not be. Him doing it is kind of exposing the fact they should have been doing. It gets to Peter, and Peter says, you can't do it. You're Jesus. I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in what I'm going to be doing. In other words, you can't say you're a partner with me and you won't both receive the service and give the service. The thing that I'm instituting, just as strong as communion, is something called a servant's heart. Now, with that being said, we ain't ever having a real foot washing service at New Town. It grosses me out. So we'll have it in our hearts. But, uh, but beyond that, he's showing a pattern. This is what it says in John 13. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In other words, if it ain't too good for Jesus, it ain't too good for you. And, and he says, I'm setting you a pattern. So it's like, now that I, right, Jesus, so we're not too good for it, but you should do the same thing I've done. It's not talking just about that night. He's trying to set something that will be pace-setting for all of Christianity, which is saying, if you're going to bear the name of Christ, you better be a servant. You better have that thing on you that says, I'm not too big. I can jump into the trenches. Let me do it. Jesus calls every Christian that night to a life of serving. The Bible says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but, uh, not, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many that he came to serve every single one of us. Now, you'll find that with Jesus, with God, right, the things that he calls us to do, he has the right, he has the change in his pocket to just tell you to do it. Like, do it. I don't care how you feel about it, just do it. He could just do that. But instead what he does is he links your calling to this, this part of your life that you'll never be as resolved, you'll never be as fulfilled as you could be without doing it. Does that make any sense, everybody? Like, like, it could just be a hard thing, and he could just ask you to do it, but instead he puts this little carrot, and he incentivizes you to take that step and to receive from him. And, and so there's a fulfillment that you're called to, Christian, that you will never understand until you're serving somebody else that can't pay you back. Till you're serving. Wow. 
Uh, John 13, and then the final word there in uh, verse 17, he says, now that you know these things, he says that you'll be blessed if you do them. Now, that word blessed there is makarios in the Bible's original language, Greek. It means happy. And, and you wonder, why didn't the translators translate it as happy? Because that's not happy like somebody told a joke and we're all laughing, cutting up. It's happy like, whoa, like I am resolved and fulfilled and God is filling me up on the inside. I have a contentment within me that I'm, I'm happy, 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 like I'm good. I could, it's kind of like that last moment of Thanksgiving, like no more, you know? And, and you might have worked really hard, but when you put your head down on that pillow, that was hard, but that was good. I want to do that again. That is what Jesus is saying. That when you're serving, you will have this fulfillment. You'll be blessed in a word like you could never be without it. Wow. Now, you've never lived your life. You've never experienced that fulfillment in the truest way that you could until you're serving somebody else. That's making a difference. And so I want to be very upfront today. Uh, I have an agenda. You're welcome. Most pastors have an agenda. They just don't tell you about it. They just kind of sneak up behind you and slit your throat real quick. Like, oh my gosh, you know. But, but I have an agenda. I'm going to tell you right up front where this whole thing's going to land. I want you to serve on a team here at New Chapel. It's not that I only think that serving happens in the church. You need to serve outside of the church, for sure, for sure. But I, I, I have an agenda. I want you to join the team. I want you to be a person who is serving with your unique gifts and talents. That's my plan for the day. Some churches are happy with 40, 50% of their people serving. I'm not. I want 100% of New Chapel serving. Say amen, somebody. Yeah. Now, you might be like, well, Pastor Joe, I wasn't planning on joining the team. It's okay. Plan on it. You say, well, Pastor Joe, I got a lot of stuff going on in my life, and, and we were going to put it off till late. That's, it's fine. We're going to do it today, though, right? And so I want you to kind of brace yourself, and, 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 and we realize if Jesus called us to do this, and if this is one of our five purposes from God, then we better get on the team and start to do it. Okay. Now. If it's so important, we should talk about what a disciple looks like. Okay, so in the Bible, you can imagine, I mean, there's hundreds, even, even thousands of times that it talks about serving or, or to serve, and uh, there are actually seven different Bible words, Greek words, that, that are used for those, those words serving or serve. And um, I'm not a guy that always goes into the depth of the Greek because I just honestly think that if you're drowning, you don't need the Greek word for life raft. You just need a life raft. So, but, but sometimes getting into the weeds on this really helps because it helps you to understand the heart and mind of God about a subject. Like, for instance, love is one word in English. But the four primary ones that show up in the Bible are eros, that's romantic love storage, which is like the love you have for your kids. There's phileo. That's that love that you have for uh, uh, your brothers, your sisters, like a great friendship. And then there's agape. That's unconditional love. Like, so when we think about these Greek words, it gives you more clarity on what the Bible's actually trying to say. So I'm not going to give you all seven. You're welcome. I could. I wanted to. I'm going to give you three. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some practical things that we can do about it as we go home today. So if you have your Bibles, Mark 9, I want to show you this passage. It says this, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and he said, anyone who wants to be first, everybody say first, must be the very last. Everybody say last. And the servant of all, everybody say servant. That word servant there, huge deal. Write it down. It's the word doulos and it means bond servant. Do loss. 
We're all going to say the word doulos together. One, two, three. Doulos. Yeah, I never said it till this week either. And so, so, so doulos. Here's what it is, bondservant. If you have a King James Bible in here, it might read the word slave. Why do they say slave? Well, in America, we have our own issue with that. And because of the whole slave thing, we think of only one thing when we think slave. But the Bible stands out of American culture and goes back a lot further. I could prove that to you. But, but the idea is that when it says the word slave, it's talking about people back in Bible times that were one of two things. The first thing is they were either just a normal hired employee. It says slave, but it just feels like that. Hey, everybody, you know, like they were hired, they were getting paid, they were going home living their best life, okay? But then it is also talking about another person and they were a slave, but here's the way that they would think of it, that they were actually a slave to a debt that they owed, okay? So, so, So anytime you read in the Bible about like debt, it will tie it to slavery, just a fun fact. Selah. Anyway, uh, uh, so, so these people, they, were, they, were owed, they owed money, and so they were going to work for a boss, work for a master, until that debt would be paid, and then they would be out of slavery. Now, they had a cool law in Israel in that day. It was the law of God that any debt that that person owed you, after seven years, it's done anyway. And so these people would, would become a slave to the debt. They'd work for the guy they owed the debt to. And, and if it ended before the seven years, they'd just get out and go live their life. But if it went for the full seven years, at the end of a seven-year cycle, it would be done. They'd be over, and they'd go and live their life. But a social phenomenon happened. So it's kind of cool in my mind that you can give your life to pay a debt. That's what Jesus did. But on the other end of it, the social phenomenon was this. These, these slaves ended up falling in love with their boss and the family. And so what would happen is the seven years would get over and they'd be like, hey, boss, I kind of like it around here. Like, I love you and your wife and the family. And they'd feel this connection and they'd be like, I'm great as long as I still get room and board. We're still like growing. I want to join the family. And just like we use like wedding rings, these, these people, when they went from slavery, they would become a bond servant and they would actually get a little piercing on their ear and it would tell everybody like, I'm part of this family now and they would live out the rest of their days. And they had choice in it. It was absolute choice. There's, there's great record for that. Here's the big idea. They decided voluntarily to give their whole life over to service. Write it down. The word bond servant, it shows a principle. Write this down. That real servants... They make a lifetime commitment. So you're going past like the debt you owe. In fact, Jesus paid that debt for you. And what you're doing is you're saying, hey, I'm I'm great making the house grow, and and I'll do it for my whole life just because I love the house. I love the vision of this house. I love where this is all going. And and New Chapel, I've given my life to serving. I've given my life to it. I've dedicated my family to your service and to the service of people that have not yet darkened the doors of New Chapel. I make a commitment to be a servant and... I'm asking every single person who's a part of this church, you you wear the name Christ, I'm asking you to be a person that says, I'll serve God with my whole life, I'll dedicate it, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it, and I'll put as much money, time, whatever you ask for into this gospel's sake. Are you with me, everybody? Okay, so that's the first word. I'm going to give you the second word, and it's found in Matthew 20. Jesus says this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever uh, wants to be first must be your slave. There's the word we just talked about. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. What is the Greek word there? Is the Greek word diakonos. 
diakonos. I won't make you say that because you ain't going to say it right. But diakonos, and it means deacon. Now, when I say deacon, some of you come from different church backgrounds, different church governments. And, and, and for me, when I think about the word deacon, I just think about those people that were smoking behind the church before service began. And uh, anyway, but uh, that's my country church. Maybe you think about a church government or you think about like the, the people that made all the decisions on the board. None of that's found in the Bible, by the way. We've made the servants make leadership decisions. We made our leaders do all of the manual work, and it's backwards. It's why the church is inept, but sorry. Uh, anyway, so deacon, when I say that word, it's very, very profound. I'm going to give you a word picture you'll never forget. It's the word picture of like a waiter at a restaurant. When you hear deacon, you got to write that down. It's like a waiter. So what is a waiter doing? Okay, I've got five tables. No, 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 I got six. You need another glass. I see you dropped your napkin. I got you another napkin. You got another person coming. That's all right. We'll get you a chair. Does that make sense, everybody? That is deacon. It is a person who is, who is not absorbed with all their needs. They're absorbed with everybody else's needs. They're looking for needs, and they're just, just filling it real quick. They don't even have to make a big deal out of it. Here, here you go. And y'all want dessert? All right, we'll get you the dessert. You know, just serving people. That is that word deacon, and that's what it looks like. And so write it down. The word deacon shows us a principle. Here's the principle. Servants are focused on the needs of others. You're not just focused on your own thing in your own world. You're focused on them, not just on you. Well, Pastor, I don't know really how to do all that. I, I, I guess I could serve at church, but I don't know where to serve. Okay, you ready? Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. If you're on your way to church and you see somebody and they're, they're broken down trying to change out a tire, you just found your serve. Jump in there. Help that person. If, if you see somebody that needs help, sometimes I see old people. Old people are my spirit animal, everybody. Like, I just love them. See, see somebody, they're like, they're like meandering around a street, and you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, I go grab that little old lady's arm, take her across. Some of the veterans, I like to be, hey, big man, you mind if I walk next to you? Is that all right? You know, try to give them their didgeridoo. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? Like, it's not far. This world is full of needs. In fact, every once in a while, I'll, I'll talk to somebody and say, Pastor Joe, I just got one little critique about New Chap. I'll be like, get in line. I, I'm, I'm the number one critic of New Chap. I know everything that's wrong and then some. And if I'm missing something, add it to the list, you know. But, like, if you see it and it stands out to you, maybe that's God calling you. Maybe you just found your need and you need to fill Well, I don't like how they do checking. Well, jump back there, baby. Get, get on that desk. We'll put your name on there if you really like it. Well, I don't like the parking lot when they have the shows. When they have the shows, it's really difficult. Well, get on that little go tram. You'd be like George Jetson. You know, I mean, just like. And so if you see a need, maybe that's God calling you. Maybe God's trying to say you need to be focused on the needs of others. A third Greek word I want to share with you. It's out of Acts 26. The Bible says this. Paul is quoting Jesus, actually. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant. Everybody say servant. As a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. This is the Greek word, huperetes. I don't know how to say it in English, so I'm using a Spanish accent today. <laughs> You're laughing, but you don't really know either. And so, huperetes, uh, which means <laughs> under rower. Write that down. Under rower. What in the world are they talking about? Okay. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur, uh, number one, if you haven't, uh, carve out about three days. That's what it's going to take to finish that movie. But uh, there's a part of the movie where they're in a boat, and they're going down the water, and, and, and they're, they're all rowing, and they're in the bottom of the hull, and they're boom, 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 
Boom. And they're, help me out, everybody. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so they're rowing down there, and it's like, row to live. And they're like, all right. Double speed. Boom. And this is, I'm not doing that again. And so, so they're, they're down there, and they're rowing. And it's awesome because they're taking ground, but there's only one problem. Nobody knows what your face looks like. That's the picture. This is somebody who says, it's not about me. You don't need to look at me. I don't need any of that. So when I say, like, hey, would you like to come up here and give your testimony? You want to puke, okay? Like, like, there's people like that, okay? So, so, so that behind-the-scenes thing, it applies to this level all the way down. We all need to be people who are fine doing whatever our Lord tells us to do. I'll serve behind the scenes. I don't need any of this. I don't need any. I just need to obey God. But that's the picture, that, that you are an under-rower. And so, huperetes, gracias, means this. Write it down. <laughs> servants, real servants, they magnify Jesus, not themselves. It's not all about you. And so listen, as we serve people that come into this house, if we do, as we do outreaches outside or we do serve day, we, we're serving other people. It is not about building a big name for New Chapel. It is not about building the big name for JoeBevelacqua.com. Like, it doesn't matter. We are trying to magnify the name of Jesus and make him famous in this city and around the world. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Huge deal. You could say it this way. So these three Greek words, you could say that, that a servant, there's someone who makes a lifetime commitment to serve people's needs in such a way that magnifies Jesus. And you could even add on the end there, not you, not yourself. A, a, a real servant, you're making a lifetime commitment. Like, I'm in. This is Christianity. I'm going to serve people's needs, and I'm going to make Jesus famous. Wow. Now, I've experienced this in the church my entire adult life. It's been amazing. But one of the most profound experiences that I had was actually a couple years ago. I had a surgery on my foot. I was born with club feet, and Lord willing, the creek don't rise. That was the last surgery I'll ever need. And it was, it was, it was a difficult process. I had to go to physical therapy. And uh, I'm going to tell you, those people in physical therapy, they need to get saved, everybody. They don't, they don't know Jesus at all. They, we had to do an outreach to the physical therapy place. I'm just trying to be serious. And, and anyway, but they need the Lord. <laughs> uh, but, but, but in this whole process, the surgery, I mean, they, they're giving you all kinds of medicine. I'm from the country. I took a trip and didn't leave the farm, everybody. Like I'm just, and I'm, I'm wearing my pajamas, my little Brooks Brothers button up or whatever. And my wife served me. She served me. She'd bring in food on a little tray. I told you old people are my spirit animal. <laughs> and, and I'd take lunch up there. And, you know, she'd, she'd help me to get my socks on. She'd help me into the car. I'm Joe Bevilacqua. I don't want anybody to help me to get in the car. I'll hop. No, let me help you. I'll drive. That is a cardinal sin, everybody. But I just, <laughs> all right, here we go. I hated the whole time, you know. But, 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 but the whole idea is I got this opportunity to front row, it just receive it. And for me, it's kind of hard to receive sometimes. And I just had to receive that service and, it, and, and it'll change you. It, it'll, it'll change your perspective on things when you can't do it and you need somebody else's kindness and somebody else's generosity. You're like, oh my gosh, it means the world. And then, and then all of a sudden, it lends a lot of meaning to the, to the work you do. And so that, that really, that heart of that servant, uh, servant really gives you some forward motion. And I want to give you these ideas if you jot them down, I do think that they can be pace-setting and life-changing for you. A couple thoughts about being a servant. Number one, we're shaped to serve God. A servant puts service over status. 
He puts, he puts service over status. It really, it really matters what they're doing for others, not so much who they are. Well, I'm the pastor. Well, great. You can grab a mop with the rest of us. And I'm not trying to diminish the fact that, that, that we have leadership and, and, and that we want people on the right seat of the bus. But here's the big idea. I'm not overdoing any task around here. I'm not too big. You too big for the small stuff? Buddy, you too small for the big stuff. You'll never be there. And so we got to be people that say, hey, I'm okay with serving the least of these. I'm okay. I'll get right down into the dirt with somebody else and love them through whatever they're going through. Say amen, somebody. You know, we are good, and this is massive. We are so good at us. The reason why this matters, putting service over status, is because you are a pro at you. If we leave you alone, some of you husbands, if we leave you alone for a little bit, like your wife's like, I'm going to go to Myers and pick up some stuff. You need anything? Oh, no, babe, I'm good. I'm just going to sit back here. Just relax. As soon as she goes down the, the driveway, you have stashed a whole bag of Doritos. <laughs> and you think it ain't going like, to add weight. If you're over 30, buddy, you're doomed. And so you're just, you can polish off a whole bag of Doritos, a two liter of ice cold Coke. Ooh, oh, che, che. I just felt the Holy Ghost. Like, it's she comes back, you're like, you didn't eat anything? You want some peanuts? Oh, I'm good, girl. You know, let's just, <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> Don't get any on the walls, you know, just, <laughs> and, and, and why? Because you're good at you. And if left alone, there's this pull towards selfish. There's this pull towards making it all about you and your world, what you got going on. And, and you need something to step in your life. You need some rhythm to your life that breaks up the norm and says, you know what? It ain't about me. It's about everybody else. I love the Lord. I love other people. And, and, and my needs will get met by God. I don't have to make that discernment, but, but I'm not going to be so focused on me that it actually, watch this, watch this. In this generation, so many young people are getting turned down. They're spiraling downward because their teachers and their parents are so focused on getting them a scholarship. They turn inward and they're so focused on themselves. I got to be perfect. I got I to add up to everything. And it's making them depressed. You're depressing. The, you're not lifting them up. You're depressing them. And it's because they're focused on them. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be serious about their calling. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be serious about training. But if you get so enamored with it that everything else can burn, I'm getting a scholarship. Buddy, you're not, you're not describing Christianity. And so there's more. We're too good at being us. The Bible says this. Jesus would convey it this way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, others, others. The idea is you get focused on you. Start looking at them. Start valuing them. You both get to the same spot in line, to like ready to order ice cream at the same time. I'll, I'll say, you can go ahead of me. I'll prefer. Now, I'm not saying you should be a doormat in life. You shouldn't. Jesus wasn't. But you need to prefer other people and love other people and be willing to serve with your time and effort. In fact, I would say this, that, that if you start thinking about calling and career, some people think, well, I just need to do this job to make money. I'd really like to do this, but i got to do this. You know what the truth is? If God called you to do something, you being in your sweet spot, it'll just follow you. You think you got to meet your own needs, but if you just sunk into what God's called you to do, all your needs will be met. That's the Holy Spirit. But let me say this, we need to focus on other people and value them and prefer them above yourself. Got to move on, number two. So you're shaped to serve, number two. A servant, they're going to put character over comfort. Character over comfort. So I've been, uh, I've been a follower of, of Christ for a while now. 
And, and there are seasons in my walk with God where I'm just like, I'm good, Jesus. I, I don't want to grow anymore because it's hard. Like, I'm okay going to heaven being the dummy at camp. Like, I'm all right. Like, but God is not so interested just in your comfort. He wants you to become who he's called you to be. And so he's going to draw a lot of character and take you on process that, that sometimes is challenging. And character is never easy. It's never fun. It's never convenient. I was talking with somebody, and they were having marriage problems. And, uh, and, and this lady wanted to leave her husband. She said, well, well, doesn't God just want me to be happy? I just start cracking up like, no. <laughs> marriage? We're talking about marriage? No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> marriage is not for you to be happy, friend. It's to make you holy. Now, now you start doing it God's way, I think that the happiness will follow. I, I really do. But let me just help you. Uh, if you're a Christian, you stay married long enough, and I'm not going to be specific for a lot of reasons. But like... Um, They'll be tap dancing Broadway on your last nerve in Jesus' name. They'll make you holy. <laughs> You'll find the Lord. <laughs> and, and so, so we have this, this, this mindset that it's all about our comfort. But that, you're, it's hyper, I love you so much, babe. <laughs> love you. So beautiful. I'll sing. No? Okay. Please don't. I see that hand. I got to move on. Here's the big idea. We're so captivated with our own comfort. Sometimes we forget. And, and, and marriage isn't to make you happy. It's to make you holy. And the happiness will follow. But think about even with you raising your kids. Think about that. Okay, so, so hey, kids, uh, what do you want to do? Well, we just want to sleep in, skip school. Okay, well, I just want you to be happy. The devil? Uh, no. <laughs> Pastor Joe wakes up, and, and, and the kids are still sleeping. He's like, get out of bed, make your bed, and go make A's. You know what I mean? Like, I want A+, plus, everybody. Like, you don't need to do just what makes you happy. It's not going to help you. And here's why God challenges us. Just like you challenge your kid, he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He loves you just where you are. He wants you to become. And so he's willing to put you in some tight spots sometimes and be like, hey, let's get some character out of here. Let's develop through this process. And that's really the message that's conveyed in the Bible in Luke 10 about the good Samaritan. I'm going to breeze through this. This could be a whole series, but let me read it for you. Luke 10, 30. There was a young man traveling on his way, and the Bible says that he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, the Bible says, a priest was on his way on the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. I worked at that church. <laughs> then a Levite, a religious dude, shows up, and he also avoids the injured man. Well, what would the church people think if I'm seen with this person? Who cares? A Samaritan. Now, everybody look at me. There was a racial tension here. The Jews looked at the Samaritans, and they called them half-breeds. They, they had racial slurs that they said against the So there's also like a racial tension in this whole thing. A Samaritan traveling the road came up on this guy. When he saw the guy's condition, he saw it, remember that, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, bandaging his wounds. Then the Bible says he lifted him up. He led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out some, uh, some uh, silver coins, gave it to the innkeeper. He says, take care of this guy. If it costs me more, I'll pay it on my way back. And Jesus says, what do you all think? Which of these three became a neighbor to the man attacked by the robbers? And the guy said, well, the one that treated him kindly. And then Jesus said these very profound words. Well, then go fill out your team-up card.
Told you it was coming. Yeah, go and do it. Go and do the same, right? Okay. Oh, we'll be back. What happens? You're not really going to feel anything until you're confronted with the need. I was talking with Pastor Eric, and he went on a mission trip pretty early on in his walk with God, and he went to Mexico, and in some area of Mexico that was just destitute, and, and he saw it. He saw the poverty. He saw the swallow. He saw kids with no shoes or clothes. He saw, he saw an awful situation that was godless. They didn't have Jesus. And he preached there, but when he came back, it messed him up. It actually put this seed of missions in his heart that he's always, always gone back. I got to go on a mission. I got to go talk to people. I got to go invest in people. Why? He saw it. And sometimes we're so enamored with our phone or our own little world. We don't look right around us. You don't have to look far in Grand Rapids for needs. They're there. And we have to be people that see it and say, God, I'm going to allow this to affect me. Uh, some people have asked, Pastor Joe, why are you giving a car away? The, the youth group is brand new. You're giving a car away to middle schoolers and high schoolers. What are you doing? Number one, I don't need another thing to do. Nobody in this room would fault me if I didn't do it. I feel compelled to do it. It was the very arena where I found my relationship with God when I was 17. I'm compelled to do it. I'm tired of sharing memes that talk about how bad schools are, and then we not minister to the next generation. I see it, and so I'm going to do something about it. Why let them go into these godless schools that are like hell on earth, and then we, we would even say that these people don't know God. They're, they're headed to an eternity without him. Let's do something about it. And so I see it, and i got to do something about it. If you went to Africa, you'd punch a water well, and you'd be like, we're the well church. Everybody come over over here. You'd do missions with a water well. If you go to Pakistan, you'd feed them, and then you'd give them the gospel. And if you want to reach, reach a sophomore at Comstock Park High School, you give away a beater car in Jesus' name. If it rubs the cat the wrong way, turn that cat around. I don't care. Let me also say this. The car that we're giving away was given to us. So we're not, yeah. We're not spending tithers money giving a car away to somebody who might not even know God. We are using it as a tool to reach the next generation. And I say we better upset the status quo. Otherwise, we're going to be living in that status quo. Hallelujah. I got to move on. We have to be people that see needs and fill them. Number three. A servant puts, write it down, we over me. A servant puts we, the, the collective, that, that we got to do something over just themselves. Help me out, out loud if you could, if you've ever heard this saying uh, said before, if you want a job done right, do it on a team. Exactly. It's <laughs> exactly what I said. And that's, that's the thought, though, right, in America. It's all on you. And it's all what you think. And so I'm going to give if I feel like it. And I'm going to spend time serving on something if I feel like it. And if Feed the Children come on, I'm emotionally moved. Why do you think we ask you to ask Jesus? Because I don't want to come up here like 80% of evangelical churches and try to work you up into giving. I want you to decide to do it, and we're going to go at the pace of your generosity. I'll see you all at the top. You get a vote on how to do it, but I'm not going to manipulate you. I refuse to do it. We are told as men of God to not make people give grudgingly or out of necessity. We're told. And so I put it in front of you and say, don't, 
Don't give because you're emotionally moved. Decide. Like, Jesus, what are you telling me to do? That's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to obey. Can't just decide on, on, on the fly. That's not what the Bible says. What does it say? Acts 2.44. Let's do church like the early church. Glad you brought that up. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold stuff to give to anybody who had a need. That's your early church, buddy. It's people taking the serving thing so seriously, and we can do more together. I'm just telling you. New Chapel, by the way, we're incredible stewards of your money. We weigh not just every dollar carefully. We weigh every penny carefully. The amount that we do with the staff we have, the amount that we do with what you see and what you experience, it'd blow your mind if you saw the numbers. And, and the reason why we do it that way is we want to put thousands of dollars into world missions and outreaches and reaching people who are far from God. And so what do we do? We operate the church on, on multiple tents beneath what it actually could be with the money coming in so that we can give it away, so that we can invest, so we can reach people who don't know that good news. I just want a show of hands in the room. Uh, how many of you in the room today would say, I have gone physically to Pakistan, and uh, I have given food out, and I've planted uh, some churches in schools? Could you lift your hand? Anybody? I'm seeing no hands. Actually, the answer to that question is, you all win. Because we have given as a church tens of thousands of dollars to, to cities in Pakistan and churches to get the gospel out and feed people who are starving. You did it and you didn't even know you were doing it. It's we over me. We together, when we pool our resources and our creativity and our gifts, we can make so much more of an impact for Jesus than if we tried to do it alone. I'd put it this way. I've never been to Pakistan, but my giving goes there every single week. I love it. Now, some of you in the sound of my voice, you've been maybe coming to New Chapel for a while. Maybe this is your first week, and you're trying to make up your mind about it. As we dismiss today, we're having a newcomer's reception. I'd love to just shake your hand and talk to you, but the real thing I want to share with you is that next week is New Chapel Connect. It happens every week except for that fifth Sunday, which is today. It's the first and second week of the month and the third and fourth week of every month. And the first uh, part of that is called Partnership One. We'll give you all the information about who we are, the vision here, where we're going, how decisions are made. And then the second week, we, we invite you to get engaged with all that. We give you everything you need to know to make a decision about whether or not this is your church. And it might not be. There's a lot of great churches in Grand Rapids. I could, I could recommend a lot of them. Relevant Church, pastored by a great man. Ada Bible, Dwayne Vanderklok over there at Res Life. Wonderful people, wonderful men. Our ships are sailing in the same direction. But let me just tell you, you need a place. You need a we. You need a community around you because we are better together. i got to move on. From my study of the word... Jesus is coming back soon. How soon, Pastor? Sooner than you think. You might say, well, what if he doesn't? Okay. If we're not living in the last days, we're living in your last days. <laughs> How long are y'all going to live? 30, 50 more years? I mean, really. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate people one from another, 
is a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Come quickly. Verse 33. The Bible says that he will put the sheep on his right and, and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't just have your little click. You invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And I imagine that, that the people of God would be like, what? What are you talking about? So what it says in verse 37. The righteous will answer. Oh, we didn't do that. When do we see you hungry or thirsty? A stranger. When do we see you needing clothes or sick? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least. You did it for me. I took it personal. I took it personal. When you go back to kids and you love on them and you invest in them, I took it per- You did that to me. That's me. When you went and you gave, and it was a big sacrifice for you to take that first step into tithing, uh, you did that for me. I've felt that. He takes these things personally, church. It means something to him. And so God loves the fact that you're at church. I'm pumped about it too. But when you give and you invest and and you give your stuff and your time and your tithe and your offerings and your focus, when you give like that, that, my friend, is worship to God more than singing any song set is. That's what he's looking for. And every parent in the room knows what I'm talking about. Here's what I mean. If you love my kids, I love you. I think about Ed and Sheila, Bob and Cindy and Judy. Y'all need to stop spoiling my kids, but, but them loving my kids. Oh, you love my people? That's me. You're loving my camp, my house, my kids. When you go and you pay attention to my kid, Frank, dude, I'm a fan. I'll wear your jersey. You did it to me. And that's how God thinks of it. When you're investing in those little kids. The Bible says if you give a cup of water to a child in Jesus' name, he sees it. It matters to him. And so you might be in the bottom of the boat or the back of the bus, as it were, and you're rowing and you're trying to get on with life and you're trying to make it happen. Nobody sees you. God sees it all. Nothing is wasted. He can take you from the bottom of that boat to the top in one instant. It's the power of our God. You might be a person who has this great vision for your life and you're on the back end. You're having to do menial work that, that, that's it's beneath you. It's beneath your education. You serve like Jesus. If it's not too good for Jesus, it's not too good for you. You get right down there. God's into towels, not into titles. And when you do that, he, that's a guy. That's a guy I can lift up. And so, write it down. Number four, a servant puts worship over wealth. Me serving and giving and investing in God's kingdom, that's the most important thing. It's not all about me. Two things that I want to pray for us. First thing is this. Everybody take out your team out card, team up card. Pull out right now. All over the room. Team up card. I can see y'all. Pull it out. <laughs> You're already on the team. Pull it out. Help a brother out. Everybody. This is Jesus putting a crossroads in your life. That's what it is. You're like, you're meddling, Pastor Joe. I have a license to do this. (laughs) I've I've been waiting for this all week. And here's the deal. We're getting on okay without you. 
it's not so much that we need you on the team to go build our big old little kingdom. The Lord's going to do his work. You need it. You need it. You need somebody to know your name here at this church. You need to serve somebody that can't pay you back. You need to open a door for some old lady and love on her, kiss her, call her mama. I'm just telling you, you do. You need to join the team, and this is your crossroads. You might be like, Pastor Joe, I'm coming into this church, and I'm kind of in a season kind of recovering. I went through it. Friend, listen, if you're here, and you're trying to just get your feet underneath you again, please come and just consume. Just listen to the worship, wave at Jesus. Take notes of the message, because here's what I believe. If, if we let you do that, if we give you space, God's going to do his thing in your heart, and, and you'll be on the team before we know it. But for most of us, it's kind of burning a hole in your pocket. <laughs> kind of, ooh, i got to get this card out of my hands. I'd like it. What if I end up serving someplace that I don't like? This is not Hotel California where you can check out, but you can't leave. If you're bad with kids, we'll detect that quick. <laughs> I love you. If I could have a pastoral minute for just a minute. Some of you exceed me in age. I love you, but listen to me. Fill out the card. Join the team. You're made for more. Second thing I want to do is something that I've seen great men of God do. In fact, Rick Warren, the author of Purpose Driven Life. And that is, as a church together, we are going to say out loud a confession. All of us. This is an all play. And I want you to do it aloud, not a soft, okay? So help a brother out. Guys, throw up that slide. We're all going to say this out loud. Ready? Go. Because God has called me to serve my generation, I will value worship over wealth, we over me, care over comfort, service over status, and God's purposes over possessions, positions, popularity, and pleasure. Next slide. To my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I say... However, whenever, wherever, and whatever you ask me to do, my answer in advance is yes. Keep it going wherever you lead and wherever the cost. I'm ready anytime, anywhere. I want to be used by you in such a way that on that final day, I'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in and let the eternal party begin. Can we give God praise, somebody? <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to be like you. We don't want to play church anymore. This is what it got us. But Lord, we want to be like you and be you to a lost and dying world. And so God, I ask that you would stir your people. Normally, God, I comfort the afflicted. Today, I pray that you would afflict the comforted. Get them up, God. Get them moving for you. God, I pray that people would find their sweet spot, that area where they can serve, they can make a difference. God, I pray that we're a church of 100% people serving the Lord and investing our lives in your kingdom work. Lord, let it be done. And Father, as we preach about a God of love that wants to rally his people to service. I know that there's people in the sound of my voice that are drawn to that God, but don't know you. Help me to find them, sir. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for another minute. You came into my auditorium today and you say, Pastor Joe, sounds good. I want a relationship with God, but I don't have one. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Meaning, 
You'll avoid a Christless hell. You'll have eternity in heaven. But it doesn't mean that it starts when you die. It actually starts the moment that you receive him as Lord. What does Lord mean? It means boss. It means you're done being the boss over your own life. You're ready to give your life to the God who created you. If that's you in the sound of my voice, whether you're coming to God for the first time or maybe you're coming back home, we're going to pray. If you mean it, he'll make all things new in your life. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Church, pray this out loud with those people who are praying it for the very first time. Pray it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up. Louder than that. Come on, somebody. Guys, let me pray for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, have a great week, guys. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.